Hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of Nano Imaging Services podcast. Today I'm joined by the company's Chief Scientific Officer, Giovanna Scapine. Giovanna, welcome. I'm so pleased to have this time to sit down with you. Thank you. I'm very, very excited about being here and chatting with you. I know that every time I talk to you, you explain things so simply and you get me as excited as you guys are about cryo-EM. So I'm so excited to bring this to everybody. Just so the listeners know, and I think most people do know, I am not a scientist by background. So I'm going to ask some very simple questions just to make sure that I have a full understanding. And I hope this is useful for everyone else because it's great to get some of these layman terms around cryo-EM. So Giovanna, starting at that point, what is cryo-EM? Cryo-EM, it's an imaging technique that has been around for about 100 years, although we got really good at it only in the past 10 or so. It's like a big gigantic microscope, and instead of using light, it uses electrons. But the end game is the same. We want to get an enlarged image of very tiny objects. And electrons have a very short wavelength, which means that we can see very, 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 very small objects on the level of cells or even subcellular components. And if we use what I usually do, which is single particle analysis, we can even get down to atomic levels and identify atoms and molecules and bonds within a system. Wow. So something really interesting came out that you said it's only really been in practical use for ten, the last 10 years. What have been the limiting factors that have meant that that's been the case? Mostly the technology was not up to speed to what we wanted to see. It has been used for many years, but the information and the resolution that we could achieve was very limited by the fact that we did not have powerful microscopes or microscopes powerful enough. And most important, we did not have extremely sophisticated cameras that will allow us to record and basically get every single information out of these microscopes. And in the late 2010, there was a very big advancement in this technology, both as microscopes and in cameras. And that's what prompted what is now known as the resolution revolution which really brought electromicroscopy into the field, into the realm of structural techniques. And that's what is mostly used nowadays for drug discovery. We still use it as an imaging technique, but I think mm-hmm. it's the possibility of using it as a structural technique that really makes a difference. So if it can be used for so many different applications, why is it not the tool that you hear everybody is using? So you hear like, mass spec, everybody's got a mass spec. Why is that not the case yet with cryo Cost, availability, the fact that it's a very special technique that requires very specialized people to be able not only to properly run and maintain the microscopes, mm-hmm. but also to properly analyze, interpret, and understand the results of the imaging or of the data collection. I think cost and the fact that you don't just need a microscope. You need everything else that goes around the microscope, including very sophisticated prep labs, a lot of computational infrastructure, a lot of storage space. That's something that it's, uh, it can give people like a rest. They say, oh my God, this is way too much and way too big for what I want. So, so that's interesting. So 
your experience is that people are looking for it. They want it. They just don't think they've got access to it. It's not that they don't know that the technique will solve their challenge. They don't know they can have access or they don't know if they can afford to have access or they don't know if they have enough experience to have accents. Yes, I, I think that the, the idea that cryo-EM is useful in many, many, many aspects of the drug discovery process is fairly well established right now. How can we access cryo-EM? That's something that needs to be learned still. And a lot of people don't really know where to go or what to do when they need cryo-EM, I think. They talk to the friends and the friend friends, and they try to find a, something, a solution to their needs. Which and sometimes the is not really. The solution is coming to us, of course. <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't think there are that many suppliers. And it goes back mm-hmm. to the cost. And most importantly, I think, to the experience of the people that run these microscopes. So this might, you might have already answered my next question, but why would a company choose to work with multiple providers on the same project for the same, essentially what looks like the same service? So I think that, It depends on what the company or each company can provide. And what each company can provide depends a lot on the level of instrumentations that the company has, the level of access to instruments that the the company has, and the level of expertise that the company can provide. So if the interest in just getting a low-resolution 6 to 10 Amstrons envelope for a structure, then... A small, a lower end microscope with a person that is not totally trained can probably work. But then if we are interested in getting more information, we want to go to a much higher resolution. We want to really understand the specific interaction between, in this case, the antibodies and the antigen. Then better microscopes definitely help. Better cameras and so availability of a better instrumentation definitely helps. And then availability, again, of these really trained microscopies that have been doing grid prep for five years, and especially in cases when the sample is small or complicated or has other issues. So is this common that a company will go to a less experienced cryo-EM service provider and then come to you afterwards? And now that I know of, very often we are not aware of what the people do before coming to us. So we find out on a paper, for example, when clients reach out to us, they just said, this is the problem that we have. Can you help us solve it? They usually don't provide any background in what we have done before. Sometimes they offer images, cryo-M images that have been collected maybe during the protein purification if the protein has been prepared by another CRO that has cryo-EM facilities, sometimes they do provide images, negative staining images, for example, that were used to characterize the protein. But normally, we, they don't share with us any, anything that says, oh, we went there and now we are here. It's just, they don't say anything like that. They just come okay. and tell us, we have a problem. We know you're good. Can you help us solve the problem? And that's it. Yeah, that, there's an argument here that... It, they're leaving money on the table by doing that, right? They, they should just go straight to the expert in the first place so they don't have to pay two providers, right? Yes, definitely. The counterpart of that is very often maybe the low-resolution work is done by the same provider that produced the protein. This is fairly common with providers in China that do have some cryo-EM facility in-house. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they do some preliminary work just to Ah, characterize the protein. 
And so it's really, at that point, it's not a waste of time. It's just, or money, it's just give me as much characterization of the sample as I can, and then I will move on and try to do high resolution work somewhere else. Okay, Again, so they take it as far as they can, and, and then they become And then they move. Got it. Okay, another reason why they come to us is that we provide IP protection. So we don't own any of the data. We don't claim ownership on any of the data. And we don't share anything that we generate for the clients. Very often when somebody works with an academic institution, for example, these are equipment instruments that are paid by taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. And the data that come out of that taxpayer money paid instrument needs to go back in some way to the taxpayer. And so they require publications, they require release of the data in the public and everything else. We don't do any of that. We are a private company. We full protect the intellectual property, basically. So, Giovanna, there was a paper published recently in Science Immunology by authors at Immunone. The paper was describing the evaluation of a novel cocktail of antibodies to potentially treat COVID variants. I know your service was used in this. Uh, could you describe a little bit the objective of the cryo-EM studies that they performed? The, the, the goal was to provide structural information regarding to the binding of the antibodies to the spike protein itself. They did have some orthogonal methods that gave them an idea of where these antibodies or the fab, in the case they were using it, would bind. But the cryo-EM, so the structure determination, gave me a specific indication of where they were bound to the spike protein and how, if and how they could interact among themselves or would prevent the spike protein to bind to the receptor. Ah, okay. So can you tell me a little bit more about those orthogonal methods that you mentioned? So there are other ways that can be used to generate what's called an epitope or to do an epitope mapping when we talk about antibody-antigen interactions. They can be an analine scanning, they can be hydrogen deuterium mass spectrometry, hydrogen deuterium exchange mass spectrometry. They give a very general overview, so they indicate the areas where this uh, antibody can bind. They don't give any specific details of the residues that are involved in the binding or any specific details regarding the orientation of the fab with respect to the mm -hmm. antigen and more detailed information. They're very good for, a, they're very good, they're very fast, but when we need a, a more specific definition of, of the binding site, we really need to go to either X-rays or cryo-EM, so to, to a three-dimensional structure. Giovanna, the authors of the immunome paper we're discussing say that their original data set exhibited a strong preferential orientation of spike protein. What was nanoimaging services' role in helping address these challenges? So, first of all, having a strong preferred orientation can and will definitely limit the resolution of the data that they will obtain. And since the, the goal of the project was to get a high-resolution data set to identify the epitope and the specific binding areas, having anything that will reduce that resolution, it, it's clearly a liability, and we, we don't really want to do that. So we have a lot of experience. Unfortunately, a lot of samples have a preferred orientation problem, and so we developed mm -hmm. a series of techniques or, I don't know, attempts that we do and they may range from changing the grid that we use to collect data, so a carbon grid or a gold grid or a carbon-coated grid, changing the composition of the solution by adding 
detergents or other additives that can prevent or ameliorate the preferred orientation. Mm-hmm. If nothing works, what we can do is use a data collection on a tilted stage. So in that way, we can look for the more rare views that we need to generate the full reconstruction. So other times we, we ask to change maybe the construct that we are looking at because maybe changing the protein may change the effects on the grids. In this specific case, is that what we ended up doing? Since they were interested in a binding of the fab to a specific part of the spike trimer, which was the, the, the receptor binding domain, the RBD, what we end up asking is to provide just the RBD and uh, the fab of interest, uh, hoping that this construct that's completely different from the spike protein will behave differently on, uh, on the grid. It did and it didn't, meaning that we, did, we, we reduced a little bit the preferred orientation, but it was still present. And so mm-hmm. with the construct, we did have to apply a different grid procedure. We applied uh, a different vitrification protocol and we ended up collecting a tilted data set and then merging all of it in order to get a, a very high resolution for the part that they were interested in. Perfect. This is a great example for our listeners to understand why you need to choose a cryo-EM specialist who has experience and done all of this before, because you already have these protocols and know how to address this. So it's going to be a much better outcome for companies. As we wrap up, we obviously talked about the immunome paper, which was focused on COVID. We know that cryo-EM has had a significant role in many aspects of COVID research. So I'm very interested in learning from you about what you have personally learned about the pace of innovation that's resulted from the COVID pandemic, specifically in relation to cryo-EM. And what does this mean for you in the future? So one thing we learn is that speed is the essence, because if we can address a problem as soon as it starts out, like we have seen with COVID, we can make a lot of progress really fast and that can really have a beneficial impact on the entire humanity. Now, the drug discovery process is not just getting a pretty picture of how your drug of interest or your antibody of interest binds to the target that we are trying to visualize. It's also how we can deliver this compound of interest or antibody of interest to the human body. And so there is a whole second or half process in it, which is formulation and optimizing the way we deliver these drugs and and these compounds in which cryo-EM can still provide a really important help because we can visualize these entities. And so Mm -hmm. we are able to visualize lipid nanoparticles. We are able to visualize vaccines. We are able to visualize uh, transporter like uh, AAV or adenoviruses uh, and things like that. And that really helped also in accelerating the way in which you can go from uh, a preclinical product to clinical tests and then eventually to delivering humans because it helps to optimize the delivery of the particle itself. And so at nanoimaging, we have offerings of services that cover the entire span from the very basic research development. We want mm-hmm. to know how everything works to the very last steps in process development. How can we deliver this product in a safe and secure way to humans? Excellent. So one final question. Well, let's say if somebody Googles cryo-EM CRO provider, and a number comes up in one sentence, why should they choose nanoimaging services over all of the others? Because there are increasingly companies launching these services. 
Why you? Because we are, I think we are the only provider that was born to provide cryo-EM services. And we are highly specialized in cryo-EM services with all that comes with the specialization in cryo-EM services. So we know cryo-EM, the ins and outs of cryo-EM at every possible level, from characterization all the way to single particle analysis and microelectron diffraction. Wonderful. That's a great way to finish it. Thank you so much, Giovanna. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. We will put a link to the Immunome paper in the show notes. And if anybody has any questions or would like to talk to nanoimaging services about conducting cryo studies, just reach out and they'll be happy to answer any questions or run some samples for you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you.